0: Praise the Lord. Thank you for that, Brother Johnson and uh, Mrs. Johnson family. It's so nice to have you here. It's great to hear what God is doing and uh, at the same time overwhelming. The, uh, the, the exciting things that God is doing there are just phenomenal and, and, and seeing Him bless one building after another and uh, the uh, wonderful growth. But then you come to a situation needing Him again. <laughs> and uh, what we're finding is every time we come to Him, though we've he's proven himself time and time again my old flesh worries I'm sure you're not struggling with that at all but I but uh, we've got a great God and he loves to come through in a big way so I'll praise the Lord we will pray with you on that we're in the book of Isaiah if you have a Bible I'd encourage you to turn there and chapter 44 Did you all get Bible study sheets? I bet you didn't, did you? Um, James, would you grab uh, some of both and bring them over to the Johnson family? See how many. Bring a couple pens, too, just in case. They're leaving. Was it something I said? (laughs) That's okay. It's all right. In uh, Isaiah, beginning in chapter number 40, we see, like I mentioned the last couple of weeks, a, a breath of fresh air in that uh, chapters 1 through 39, overall, are God's judgment, His hand of judging for His people, and specifically Judah. And uh, hard to, it's hard to comprehend how a people that were singly called out as God's people, He said, I will be your people, I am Jehovah God, you make me your God, I will be your God. And their responsibility was to testify of his greatness to the world. That was his responsibility. And I understand they're not perfect. They were going to have some stumbles along the way, and that's acceptable because they're humans. But that's not what we see in their history. We see a complete faceplant over and over again to where they completely abandoned God. Or or worse, they decided that they could co-worship God. They could worship Jehovah God and their false idols at the same time. As long as they paid him a little homage, it was okay to dabble with these false gods, they reckoned. Along with that was a tremendous amount of drunkenness. The priests became drunks. There was immorality. There was every sin imaginable. And these were the people that bore the name God's people. And what a tragedy. And so chapters 1 through 39 was God unleashing His prophesied judgment that was going to be initially Assyria and then followed by Babylon and its destruction. But when we get to chapter number 40, there's a change in the wind. And God, from chapter 40 on, reveals a look beyond, a look beyond the judgment. Oftentimes, a look back to the judgment thanking God for his deliverance. Now, remember all of this, the whole package from chapter 1 all the way through the end of the book is a prophecy that was given to Isaiah in Isaiah's day. But along with that prophecy was a chance to look back and to thank God for his deliverance from a judgment that hadn't even come yet. And so it's, it's, hard, it's hard to kind of keep that all in mind. But let's just get into it. Isaiah 44, beginning in verse 1. Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. If you're taking notes, number one is Israel's true God. And letter A, God delivered a message to His people. God, again, referred to His people in two ways. In this verse, as Jacob and Israel. He says, to Jacob, my servant. He emphasized His plan for them to serve Him faithfully. And then to Israel, he reminds them that they were his chosen. Now, these are both the same people, Israel and Jacob, simply by different names. This is his reminder that they were his people by his choice. God chose them. In view is God's corporate election. He chose Israel, and he chose a bride for his son, the church. Jeremiah 30, verse 10, Therefore fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, Saith the Lord, Neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar, and thy seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest, and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. I want us to pray now that we've introduced it, and ask God to bless this time. Lord, thank you for your love, a blessing. Thank you for the, the encouraging testimony we heard from the Johnson, and I pray your, uh, your special blessing. Upon their ministry. And what a delight it would be when time for them to go back to Brazil, for you to have provided the complete amount they need for that land. Now Lord, we know that you're a great God. We know that. We love celebrating it. So, Lord, I pray that you might reveal your greatness once again in on their behalf. Now meet with us and lead us and guide us as we look to this chapter 44 in Isaiah. For we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Letter B: God made Israel. And he would watch over and protect them as they served him. Verse 2 Thus saith the Lord that made thee, and formed thee from the womb which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. He's already called them by two names, Jacob and Israel. Now he throws in a third. The nation of Israel was of God's making. He supernaturally empowered Abraham and Sarah to have a baby well beyond their natural abilities. That baby, Isaac, was to become the seed of a mighty people of God's choosing. Isaiah 1, 2, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. God speaks peace and assurance to His people. As He said here, fear not. Israel had no need to fear as long as they kept a right relationship with their God. He longed to provide for them a blessed life while enjoying their worship and praise. In a symbolic nature, God referred to Israel as Jeshurun, which literally means upright, His upright one. God's plan for His people was that they might walk upright before Him, consistently submitting to His will and His ways. Verse 3, For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon dry ground. I will pour my Spirit upon thy seed, and my blessing upon thine offspring. Letter C, God promised to pour out His Spirit on His people. Like cool, refreshing water to someone hot and thirsty. And like a drenching rain on a parched ground, God promised to bless His people. They could expect refreshment in the form of physical and spiritual blessings, feeding their hungry souls. Likewise, God would pour out His Spirit upon them and their children. Here we have probably a look to the initial fulfillment at Pentecost, when the Spirit fell upon the disciples in the upper room. We see this in Acts 2, beginning in verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. God promised to pour out His Spirit on His people. Verse 4, And they shall spring up as among the grass, as willows by the watercourses. Letter D, Those who experienced the Spirit's filling would grow strong. Those upon whom the Spirit pours His Spirit will grow strong and fruitful described as plants and trees by available water supplies. Of course, Psalm 1, verse 3, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Verse 5, One shall say, I am the Lord's, and another shall call himself by the name of Jacob. Another shall subscribe with his hand unto the Lord, and surname himself by the name of Israel. Letter E, there would be no fear of identifying with God's people in that day. As a result of the outpouring of the Spirit, those filled with Him will freely testify to their belonging to the Lord. Their witness for Him will be bold and powerful. Subscribing with His hand unto the Lord suggests visibly aligning with God, perhaps by raising their hands and pointing to heaven contrary to the weariness of persecution under which Israel has found itself until now, there will be a day in which Jews will freely confess their Jewish ties. That time will be again fulfilled in the millennium. It's interesting, during the COVID shutdown, there were so many crazy dynamics going on. There were all sorts of political struggles and and things twirling and swirling around. There were the health issues and and then they told us we had to shut down, and of course we had to wear masks, and you go to the store, and everybody's six feet apart or more. If you get five and a half feet, they look bad at you, or they, they swear at you. And just, it was a real uncomfortable time, and during that time, we started hearing some threats against even Christians. Churches became the problem. Why? Because people were meeting together in churches. Go figure. And they were the problem, and so when you'd go out, you'd talk to people, you you, you thought twice about it, because what are they thinking about us? We're, We're Christians. They may not respond well if we say who we are. Well, that's what they're facing here. But in that day, in this day, because of the filling of the Spirit, there's not that fear of identification with God, nor should there ever be a fear of identification with Christ. Verse 6, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Letter F, God was Israel's King and Redeemer. Jehovah declared Himself as King of Israel. At the same time, He is Israel's Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. This is a marvelous picture at our God. He is at once the rightful king of His people. He created them and entered into a covenant with them. Then, after they forsook Him, He became their redeemer by going to the cross and paying for their sin. Also pictured is the eternality of God. He's the first and the last. God had no beginning and no ending. Isaiah 41, 4, Who hath wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first... And with the last, I am He. Isaiah forty-eight twelve. 12, Hearken unto me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. I am He, I am the first. I also am the last. God reminded His people that He was the only God. All others are fakes. They're worthless images. Verse 7, And who, as I, shall call and shall declare it? and set an order for me, since I appointed the angel people, and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them. A letter G, if God's people would not declare him, who would? God had declared his awesome greatness, and he declared his calling upon his people. In light of all that he is and all that he had done, who would tell the world about him? He ordained a people specifically for that purpose, but they had failed to fulfill His purpose. If His people would not declare His greatness, who would? And I think He's asking us the same today. If God's people will not declare His greatness, who will? If we're mutes, not willing to share the goodness of God Himself coming to give His own body, to die for the sins of mankind. If we won't do it, who's going to do it? Verse 8, fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. Letter H, God reminded his people that they should not fear witnessing of him. With the idea of witnessing of His greatness to the world, He told His people to not fear. Don't be afraid. They had been uniquely commissioned to share of all the great things that He had done to the world around them. We have the same commission upon us today. We who have witnessed the amazing work of redemption through the shed blood of Jesus are responsible today to share the news with the lost world. We, today, are His witnesses. There is not God, but our God. Therefore, there's no competition. There is no other God performing for his, his people like God does for us. Isaiah 43, 10. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. Number two, the foolishness of idolatry. Verse nine, they that make a graven image are all of them vanity, and their delectable things shall not profit. And they are their own witnesses. They see not, they know that they may be ashamed. Or no know that they may be ashamed. Letter A, God turned his glare on idolatry. God turns His focus on Israel's besetting sin. What was that besetting sin? Worshipping false gods. It was idolatry. Those makers of idols are worthless and empty. They are dedicating their time and energy to a cause at odds with their Creator. All of their decorations they place on the images to dress them up, the gold and silver and gems, are a complete waste. The lifelessness of the idols becomes a testimony to their own Weakness. They are hollow images of man's making with no abilities to even hear or see, let alone be of any aid to their worshipers. The eventual end of all such worship is shame. Psalm 115, verse 8, They that make them are like unto them, so is everyone that trusteth in them. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Verse 10, who hath formed a God, or molten, a graven image that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his fellows shall be ashamed, and the workmen, they are of men. Let them all be gathered together, let them stand up, yet they shall fear, and they shall be ashamed together. Letter B, God challenges the idol makers to face their shame. God shakes His head at the utter foolishness of men who make images to be worshipped. How utterly foolish. All makers of idols should be ashamed. God challenged them to all assemble and face their shame together. In chapter 45, verse 16, they shall be ashamed and also confounded, all of them. They shall go to confusion together that are makers of idols. Verse 12, the smith with the tongs both worketh in the coals and fashioneth it with hammers and worketh it with the strength of his arms. Yea, he is hungry and his strength faileth. He drinketh no water and is faint. Letter C, the makers of idols were dedicated to their cause. The craftsman who heats the metal until it's ready to be shaped by being beaten by hammers and molded by applying pressure with his strong arms, diligently labors on his masterpiece. Though he gets hungry and thirsty, he takes no breaks, for the mission of completing his idol is far too important to him. Interestingly, the idol he labors so intently on has no strength to replenish his strength or satisfy his hunger and thirst. Verse 13, the carpenter stretcheth out his rule. You see, he, stretch, he takes the rule stretches it out. He's, he's measuring. He marketh it out with a line. He fitteth it with planes. And he marketh it out with a compass. And maketh it after the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in the house. Letter D. Great care was taken in the crafting of likenesses of men, as idols described here as the painstaking efforts to make a likeness of a person to be placed in a prominent room of the house and worshiped by all who enter great care is determined on this image but its outcome will still be lifeless and worthless Deuteronomy 27:15, cursed be the man that maketh any graven or molten image an abomination unto the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsman, and putteth it in a secret place. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Verse 14. He heweth him down cedars, and taketh the cypress and the oak, which he strengtheneth for himself among the trees of the forest. He planteth an ash, and the rain doth nourish it. Then shall it be for a man to burn, for he will take thereof and warm himself. Yea, he kindleth it, and baketh bread. Yea, he maketh a god, and worshipeth it. He maketh it a graven image, and falleth down thereto. Did you see the two main reasons they were using this cut down wood? They go to the forest and they cut down the trees. And from the very same trees, they use some of it for this and some for that. Letter E, men use the same wood for burning, as they did for idols. Men chop down various trees for many different purposes, and then replants new trees in their place. The environmentalists, they're not new. <laughs> they were happening in Isaiah's day. The wood from the trees is used to burn for heat and for cooking. But that very same wood, they take images, and they make images out of the wood, After throwing a log on the fire, he picks up another piece of the very same log and fashions an idol. He then falls down and worships the image he made from the piece of wood from the tree he cut down, half of which he burnt in the fire. Verse 16. He burneth part thereof in the fire. With part thereof he eateth flesh. He roasteth roast and is satisfied. Yea, he warmeth himself, and saith, Aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the residue thereof he maketh a god, even his graven image. He falleth down unto it, and worshipeth it, and prayeth unto it, and saith, Deliver me, for thou art my god. It's almost like he's duplicating it. He's repeating himself. It's almost like God can't believe how foolish they are. Letter F. Men fall down and worship their homemade gods. They took the wood they cut down and used some of it in the fires to cook their food and warm them from the cold. And from the remainder they shape idols to be worshipped. Verse 18 They have not known nor understood, for he hath shut their eyes that they cannot see, and their hearts that they cannot understand. G. Israel had become as blind as their idols. With their lifeless idols as examples, God told His people that they had become so hardened towards Him, they could no longer see and understand. What God was doing was completely beyond their understanding. Spiritually, they were just as blind as those lifeless idols. Verse 19 and none considereth in his heart. Neither is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned part of it in the fire. Yea, also I have baked bread upon the coals thereof. I have roasted flesh and eaten it. And shall I make the residue thereof an abomination? Shall I fall down to a stalk of a tree? Letter H. God reinforced the foolishness of idolatry. This is the third time he's gone through and repeated the very same problem. Verse twenty, he feedeth on ashes; a deceived heart hath turned him aside, that he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, "Is there not a lie in my right hand?" That, her I, Israel was spiritually starving, exchanging God's blessings for worthless images. They had become so blind. They were trading the riches of God's blessings for the spiritual ashes and leftovers of idolatry. His lusts had deceived him into thinking that his lifeless images could actually be a help to him, though they could not think or discern right from wrong themselves. Now number three, God's faithfulness to his people. I don't know if that catches you by surprise, but I just talked to you about the horrible wickedness of idolatry. And now Israel and Judah had given themselves over to that. And God's repeating himself over and again. How stupid can you be? How dumb? You go down, you cut a piece of wood, and you use the very same wood for warming yourself and baking bread as making an idol. And then you kneel down and worship that idol. How ridiculous. And then he says, but I'm faithful to my people. Verse 21, remember these, O Jacob and Israel. Why? For thou art my servant, I have formed thee. Thou art my servant, O Israel. Thou shalt not be forgotten of me. Letter A, though Israel had forgotten God, he had never forgotten them. God reminded his people that he had created them. They were his. They were to be his servants. Though they were now far from him and foolishly chasing after other gods, he had never forgotten them. In Isaiah chapter 49, 15, it says, Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will not I forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. You see the symbolism, the imagery there? I have graven you on the palms of my hands. What a picture of a coming redeemer. Verse 22, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions and as a cloud thy sins return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Letter B, God would forgive Israel again if they would return to him. Israel's past was filled with times that God had forgiven them or blotted out their transgressions. Their memory should be filled with such frequent acts of mercy by their God. It was not too late. They could still come back to Him if they would only repent. He would again forgive them once again, all over again, afresh, because He was their Redeemer. Isaiah 43, verse 1, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. Verse 23. Sing, O ye heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, ye mountains, O forest, and every tree therein. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. Letter C. God invited all of creation to sing his praises for his redemption. All of creation is enjoined to sing his praises for his marvelous mercy. Let the trees clap their hands rejoicing. Isn't that amazing? Let all of creation rejoice. The Lord was ever faithful to his people, and in spite of their idolatry, he was willing to redeem them and be glorified in them once again. There is likely a view to God's overall plan of redemption, as there will be a time in which literally all of creation will rejoice in His merciful work for mankind. Verse 24, Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. Letter D, God reminded forgetful Israel of His might and power. Israel, sadly, had forgotten their God. So He reminded them that He was their Redeemer and the One who created them in the beginning. It is the Lord God who created all things in the heavens and in the earth. Jeremiah fifty-one fifteen. He hath made the earth by His power. He hath established the world by His wisdom and hath stretched out the heaven by His understanding. And I say, great is the Lord. Verse 25, That frustrateth the tokens of the liars. And maketh diviners mad, that turneth wise men backward, and maketh their knowledge foolish." So letter E. God frustrates the work of idolaters. I like that. God laughs at the wisdom of the world. Those empowered by dark forces are liars because they're led by their master, the father of lies. God hinders the work of those involved with idolatry and the occult. He always has the last word with those who have declared themselves as wise men of the world. Isaiah 29, 14, Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Verse 26, That confirmeth the word of his servant, and performeth the counsel of his messengers that saith to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be inhabited, and to the cities of Judah ye shall be built, and I will raise up the decayed places thereof. Before I tell you what I wrote, let's not forget, this was given to Isaiah before the judgment ever came. So he gave this message, chapters 1 through 39. Listen, I'm sending judgment. The Assyrians are on their way. They had not gotten there yet. And he's got this book of Isaiah now. And they're looking through all the prophecy. And they see this. And they read it. And they say, I don't get it. Um, thou shalt be inhabited into the, uh, of, of uh, Jerusalem. Through the cities of Judah ye shall be built. I will raise up the decayed places thereof those cities had not even been destroyed yet and God already prophesied they're being rebuilt letter F God looks beyond Judah's destruction to its rebuilding God who has declared his great mighty and power and of his redemption now looks beyond the coming destruction of Judah and Jerusalem to the time they will be rebuilt and repopulated God's giving to his people a promise of his control over the affairs Of even their future. Verse 27 that saith to the deep, Be dry, and I will dry up thy rivers. Again, letter G, Babylon's fall may be predicted here. Looking even beyond Babylon to their destruction, it is likely that this verse is tied to the next. God grants a future look to the restoration of Jerusalem as commissioned by Cyrus of Babylon. This may suggest the destruction or drying up of the great power of Babylon, which was located between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. And letter H. Let me read verse 28. That saith of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure." and even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and to the temple, Thy foundation shall be laid. Letter H. God prophesied of the coming of Cyrus. He hadn't been born yet. And He's prophesying. He prophesied of a great leader to come, a man named Cyrus. He would rise to power about 175 years later. He would rule over the Persian Empire. Daniel, by then, would be living out the last part of his life in Babylon when Cyrus became king. God led Cyrus to allow the Jews to return to their homeland and rebuild their temple in Jerusalem. God's prophecy was precisely fulfilled in Ezra 1:1 and 2. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Amazing. Chapter 44. Amazing chapter of God's prophecy and giving that prophecy to an undeserving people, a people that he gave a look of mercy beyond their destruction, even to their rebuilding. (laughs) We've got to pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for this opportunity to walk through the pages of this amazing chapter. Lord, thank you for giving it to Isaiah. And Lord, I'm sure that the people in Isaiah's day could not comprehend what they were reading. Lord, thank you for allowing us the privilege of having a fuller understanding. And Lord, thank you for reminding us how great a God we serve. Lord, continue to bless, guide. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.